Hey there, and welcome to Station to Station. I'm your host, Michelle Bacon, and we're going behind the stages, venues, and studios of Kansas City's musical landscape, talking to the individuals who are making it happen. One of my goals with this podcast is to connect with voices we don't get to hear from as often and to amplify the important work they're doing in the music and arts world. I am happy to introduce my next guest, Crystal Coppage. Welcome to the program, Crystal. Hey, happy to be here. So, Crystal, you are a multifaceted creative. You're a native of Wyandotte County, a songwriter, a singer, a rapper, actress. You run a magazine. Wow, you make me, you make me sound cool. <laughs> I think you're pretty cool. <laughs> it sounds way cooler coming from you than I'll say. So you're joining us from L.A. right now, too, right? Right. Let's just start there. What, what are you doing out there? One, I think just the pandemic has kind of made everybody start crazy. I don't know. Well, I don't know about everybody, but it's made me start crazy. So when the opportunity came to come out here, I knew that I wanted to come and focus on deepening my crafts, um, particularly um, with my hand in writing, just learning like more about myself and observing uh, another area another scenery, another space, another another culture of people and having that kind of shape and focus some more of my writing um, and then really getting good at like the base, having like isolated time to be able to practice that. Right now it's a lot of learning because most, I mean, everything is closed. Hopefully when things open up, well, things will, things will start rolling. So how long have you been out there? Sheesh, four months now, I think. Okay. I left in October and it's been quite a ride. I, honestly, I love Kansas City. And so I was like, cool with coming out here because I was like, okay, cool. I like adventures and I like new things. It's cool being out here. It's interesting when people ask me, like, how is it? Do you just love it? And I'm like, ah, it's different. I'm sure it's a nice change of pace, though, in this pandemic to at least, like you said, be somewhere else and able to maybe refocus your creative endeavors. Yeah, that's what it is. Because most of the days I spend, I do a lot of reading, a lot of writing. And then if I'm not doing that, I'm probably going on a hike or sitting at the beach or some, or, or maybe at a park, just observing. I try their public transit. I like if I go to a city and they have public transit, I like to try it and see, you know, what's it like? Who rides on it? Like there, because you, you just come across so many different types of people when ordinarily you might not and and that's always exciting and that's always things you can use to like shape your world yeah and then telling stories as well I'm sure absolutely let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got started in music your mom told your dad when you were like two or three years old that God had told her to buy you a piano is that right yeah, it was so strange. She tells that story and I'm just like, mom, you're kind of intense. Because <laughs> my dad was like, no, we can get her a keyboard. And then she was like, no, a piano, a Yamaha piano. My dad and my mom bought the piano. Uh, they still have that piano. I have a townhome, so it can't fit there. But hopefully when I get a house, then I'll be able to have my piano there. But, and right now I'm actually teaching my dad on that oh, piano. Cool. That's awesome. So it came full circle. So I know your mom is, or your mom's family is musical. Was your dad very musical growing up? Not particularly. Like, so I was listening to Sarah's uh, interview and she was talking about like how it wasn't like necessarily instruments that were being played, but there was just always music around. And I, I will say that to be true also for my like dad side of the family, like music is just like a center point for things. Like you always have some type of music playing at any event or any time you're together. 
My dad loved to sing. He loves Motown. I like, I learned a lot of my like older taste in music from him. Like my mom is very, she's always been very like gospel. And so my dad, any, I would love writing with him because I knew that we could listen to like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind and Fire. I, I, I don't know that they like particularly play instruments, but they did really enjoy music, including my dad. Uh, he was also a performer at one point earlier in his life. It's always interesting how those things kind of come up, I guess, in your offspring. And it really sounds like they instilled that love of music in you and you grew up listening to all that stuff. Yeah. And your music too. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I love like when music fuses together and you hear just different types and you're like, oh my gosh, I can relate that to a classical concept. Or like, <laughs> wow, that feels very folksy and I know something along the lines of that in like um, gospel. And so all of it just makes my heart so warm. So going back a little bit, your uncles had a band? Yeah, they had a band. They would play down at the Blue Room at Vine so, 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 so long ago. So I don't know much about that. I only know like when we would have family functions and like they would get together and like my uncle played the bass and like the guitar and then like one sang. That's how I knew them. But then like when my mom, because they grew up on the Kansas City, Missouri side and my dad's family grew up in Wyandotte County. But uh, she would tell me stories about how they would go on Vine and play. Uh, We have great uncles that actually are in the Blue Room. There's like a wall in the back that have like all the old sort of memorabilia. And one of them is my great uncles. So okay. like it's all, runs all in that side of the family. It's so cool to see how it comes out too. Absolutely. And I think you also said that your ability to create songs comes from your mom. Yes. I feel like at some point in life, I would hire her, but I hopefully somebody <laughs> does to make jingles. Like she is so good at that. Like... So think of a song on the spot and it'll actually be good. Like there are songs in our family that like we sing just because she made them up. <laughs> and it's just like tradition. It's interesting. I think about how sometimes, especially in like the black community, parents had to choose between doing things that they might be really good at or love versus things that would provide for their family. Mm-hmm. And so while I think that my mom is an amazing writer, it makes beautiful songs. That's not what people were paying black people to do really at that time and not quick enough so that they could like make a career out of that. And so it kind of makes me sad sometimes because I'm like, it's so much unfulfilled potential. That age group of like black Americans, particularly, I think there is so much untapped art just because they weren't able to like live at that part of their dream because mm-hmm. it was more of like, we have to, get the American dream and that means that maybe we get a job she's a wonderful educator she works at um, she's worked at Park University and she works at KCKCC currently I think that that's very fulfilling for her as well as my dad he worked at KU and does computer engineering and I think that those things fulfill them in a way but also I just see how artsy they are I'm like I wish the world knew yeah I mean that's a really interesting point you bring up uh, especially for black Americans but I think maybe overall in that generation too, just because it was like, these are the societal norms that you have to abide by in order to just live and provide for your family and everything like that. And there was not much room to like pursue your creative passions or anything like that. And it's good that people around our age are able to do a lot more of that. But of course, then you have like all the side hustles and we could probably have a whole other conversation about how much work we have to put in just to like do our passion, you know? (laughs) 
dude i was just telling this to a friend the other day i'm so over being like a starving artist i feel like we need to change that like mm-hmm. artists who are producing things that are culture shifting and shaping should not be starving like yeah. basic needs should be met if we're like literally we're cataloging what is happening currently people are right. going to look at these artifacts at some point they're going to listen to these songs and, and they're going to look at these paintings and they're going to listen to these interviews and read these books the entire time we're like struggling like I I hope that we continue to move forward in that and like start to see art as like a real live breathing important part mm-hmm. of our culture our humanity our lives Totally agree. And it seems like a common misconception among people who aren't involved in it. You know, it's just like if you're like a well-known artist, a well-known musician, people think, oh, well, they make millions of dollars. Like, no, unless you're, you know, way up here, then you're you're having to hustle a lot just to get the work done, just to like go out and play the shows, you know, and I think a lot of people don't quite realize that. You you get really beat up being an artist, honestly. It's a wonder that anybody chooses to continue to make things. We don't have to do this, guys. But, like, we do in a way because I just wouldn't know a piece of me if I didn't do art. Like, there would be a whole part of me that I just, I I wouldn't know. Like, I've learned so much about myself through making art and then about so, so much about other people through making art. And, like, in the way that we move in, in the world, we don't have to do this, but we have to do this. And it's I go back and forth about it all the time. Yeah, like in some ways, I feel like I'm a glutton for punishment. But on the same tokens, like, you're right, we have to do it. I was interviewing another band fairly recently and kind of talking about how we're all dealing with the pandemic. And this person's friends had kind of told her, well, you know, don't worry about it. You're not what you do because you're not able to do the thing that you're that you normally do. And she was like, no, I am what I do, though. Actually, it's such an important part of who I am. If I was removed from it, I I don't know how I'd be able to, you know, identify with the world around me. And I think that's so true. I feel like a part of me would be lost if I wasn't able to do what I do. And I'm sure that's the same for you. Absolutely. That that resonates with me very much so. I think there are so many facets to us as people. Maybe there are other things other than art, but like also that's a part, like such a big part. And like for a lot of people that opens them up to the other parts that they really enjoy. Like, you know, music introduced me to knowing that like, oh, I love to write. I love to teach. I, I, I enjoy science. Like music introduced me to those things. And so to like cut someone off from like almost a lifeline in that way. Like it's an important vein in a lot of artists. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that resonates. I love that. Yeah. And that kind of goes to, uh, in addition to music, you are also an actress and that's something that you got into what around the age of six or seven. Yeah. I love stories. (laughs) Storytelling is, it's like a whole different world. You watch a show and you are in a whole different world because the people take you there. You read a book and someone's telling a story and now you're in a whole different world. You listen to a song and someone creates a world for you in that song. I just um, listened to R.I. Peters, uh, Greenhouse. And like literally the song, I could like see exactly like what was happening what was going on like and it was like it was a whole nother world for me and I'm like yo this is just this is amazing I think I've always just really loved that part of it yeah I mean that just shows all the places that different forms of art can take you absolutely so how did you get into acting I know that you did musicals in high school and and you've done quite a bit since then of course but tell me a little bit about your background on that 
I started off like with a children's community theater that is actually still going. It's called Kata's Kansas Art and Theatrical Academy, ran by this wonderful woman, Mama Johnson. My mom enrolled me in the program. I remember we did Three Little Pigs because I was a pig and we had the wolf. And that's as early as I can remember like acting, acting. And then since then, like have been in like church stuff. Then when high school came, was able to be in like all the musicals and plays that were presented. And then I did speech and debate, which uh, really like delve me into the world of like studying the art of acting in a way. It's it's so strange, but if you can enroll your kid in some sort of speech, debate, improv, something, it teaches a lot about like our speech and and how we use it via acting or if you're writing a speech or whatever. That that was kind of like my introduction into that. Um, so I, I did speech and debate my senior year, placed seventh in the nation in storytelling, and so I was really passionate about it. But I don't. There was a disconnect that happened. I think when I graduated from high school, I just was like, okay, I'm gonna focus on music. And I didn't get into the school that I wanted to get into. So it was super discouraging. And I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do music anymore. I ended up taking a break from that for a while. And then when I graduated from UMKC, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to like teach to some capacity, which I ended up doing with a cool organization. But then I was like, okay, where do I start? And so I auditioned for it was a universal audition, I guess. People from different theaters came and saw you in your one audition and then they would call you if they wanted you. And so I did that. And then I didn't hear anything for a year. And I was like super discouraged because I was like, wow, okay, I guess I'm not going to be an actress. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, hang that up. And then a year later, the Coterie called me. From there, I just, you do one play, people see you, you do another play, you do another play, and then you just, your ball is rolling. That's kind of how like my adult professional acting career went. Kind of discouraging at first, for sure. It's one of those who you knows. Also, just as I got older, my friends got older. And so like we started all being able to collaborate and realizing we were making things. Oh, you're an actor. And I'm like, I do film or you do this and I do this. Okay, let's just get together and do everything. And you did some improv as well too, right? Yes, I love improv. Comedy City. That was my first time ever doing like professional improv. I actually went to the audition. One of our castmates from the play that I was in was just like, hey, you're funny. Come audition and see if like you would like it. And I was like, okay, sure. I just went to have fun. Like I was like, I don't even, if I make the team cool, but if I don't, it's okay. I wasn't going to be heartbroken. But then I made it. And then I was like, whoa, I don't know enough about this. And so I ended up, they offered just classes to the public. And so then they were like, well, if you're on the team, then you get to go to the classes for free. And I was like, to train for free? <laughs> Absolutely. For then, just for a couple of years, did improv and it was so fun. So fun. I'm kind of jealous about that because I think I'm funny, but I don't feel like I'm good enough, not on my toes enough to do something like that. Oh, no, no, no. But like, that's the thing. You just, you just go. Just roll. Even if you're not, yeah, you just go. It's, it's less about being on your toes and more just about listening. You'll get to like respond how you would honestly. And then you add on the layers of like responding how this character might respond or something. But honestly, it's just listening. You listen and then you're like, huh. All right. Well, I think you just gave me my first improv training. <laughs> no, definitely. You should definitely take classes. I, I am a co-founder um, of Tribe U. We teach improv. So if you ever want to take classes, right. anybody, we offer them from kid age to adults. 
And a lot of times adults find that like it's a lot easier than they thought it was. And then it's just like a bunch of fun because a bunch of people who are like new to improv, you know, so you don't have to be great. But then they find out that they're great. (laughs) <laughs> and they love it. When did you start doing that? 2019 is when we found it. Tribe U. It was actually me and then my friend and co-host Trey, but he okay. goes by Bobby C. We knew particularly for a kid, they needed to have an outlet that was other than sports, other, you know, the ones that we usually are used to that will let them like get out energy and express themselves. Yeah, we just kind of came up with this concept, a rolling developing concept. There's a quite a few people actually a part of Tribe U because there's other elements to it where other people kind of add. And so like I teach music a part of it and we have someone else that teaches yoga a part of it. And so outlets for people. And that was in 2019 when we founded it and got the LLC and all that. And since then I've been working to kind of bring it as something to the community. Okay, that's great. So I know that you've done work with the Coterie, like you said, Casey Melting Pots. I do want to give a shout out to Casey Melting Pot Theater. That's like my home theater that I, I'm a part of the collective. And we unfortunately haven't been able to do a season since COVID. But the last show we did was Raisin in the Sun. And it was phenomenal. The direction that it was under was Nicole Hodges Parsley. And she teaches at UMKC now for theater. But it's a great theater, especially in the Kansas City community that puts on plays that specifically tell stories from Black people about Black people, which is kind of hard to find in the Kansas City metro area because a lot of theaters have a not as diverse staff as they could, but sometimes tell stories that are centered around people of color um, without people of color helping tell those stories. Well, that's great that you're a part of it. And that's something we're going to go into later, talking about representation and how there just needs to be more of it in every type of art. Absolutely. Up on the scene, one that up on the scene. It's gonna have to take more than me. It's gonna have to take my whole team. Infiltrate all the news until we can bring out the news for something that's more than just the same. Oh, who's shooting who or who's dying here? And my last one was a train here. Very some ones I couldn't imagine. Some losses I couldn't fathom. I still whisper both their names to so let them know I'm still here. Let them know I still care. Let them know I hope your motivation to start creating kind of came from your love of words and poetry. So when did you start rapping? I I know you did gospel rap when you were younger. (laughs) I did. I definitely started rapping at like 16. But before that, I was very into just like poetic rhyme. Around that time, Kanye was really big. I was 16. So maybe just dropped graduation. Lupe had just recently dropped The Cool. And I was just like obsessed. I discovered Def Jam poetry and was just like, yo, this is my life. Like, I love this. How do we do this? More of this. And so, yeah, it really just started out just writing poetry on things that mattered to me. The first time that I like started like performing it for real was in speech and debate. I actually was doing oratory and all of it was new to me. So I was like, there's no real rules in this. So I incorporated poetry into my speech. You know how you do something and then like nobody really talks about it really. And then like afterwards, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I remember that happened. I remember. So then like at the time it didn't feel like anything, but then like post that everybody's like, do you remember you did poetry in your speech? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I caught myself wanting to make a political statement at 16. (laughs) But like, I mean, you know. Clearly resonated with people though, so. Yeah. Yeah. What it did was like really give me the power to believe that my words meant something. First time I tried to rap, it was my friend there, Trey actually, and my sister. I did gospel rap at the time. I rapped for Jesus. Go Jesus. (laughs) And your gospel rap name was Kid Cool. Is that right? 
Oh my God, you Googled good, didn't you? Because I do not tell people that. So now if someone does an interview, they're going to listen to this. And they're going to be like, her dress is beautiful. <laughs> and yeah, so there was a little program coming up at the church. And I was like trying to get my rap ready because it was going to be the first time that I turned my poetry into rap. And my sister, we were in my parents' basement. And Trey was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like real, like hyping me up. Catherine was like, Catherine's my little sister. She films all my visuals and stuff. Great filmmaker. I never dissed her for none of her films. But the first time I tried to rap, she was like, don't do that. Don't, don't, just don't. I was trying to like clap and rap on the beat. And she was like, you're just not good at this. Like, she won't let me live it down. Like, she, she thinks it's so funny that I rap now. Cause she's like, you just weren't good. Like you got there. <laughs> I got there. I worked my way there. It was, you know, I knew I listened to enough Jay-Z, Kanye and Lupe to piece something together that will work for me. I felt it in my spirit. I just had to stick at it. And that's what I did. I put out my first little uh, mixtape. What was I? 17, 18. It was like my senior year. Silly little mixtape, but I loved Jesus and I loved rap and I was going to mix those two together. <laughs> <laughs> I think about humble beginnings. You never know where things are going to lead you. So if you feel led to do something, you just do it and try it. And it'll yeah. open up a world for you. And it's weird because I, di I didn't, we didn't do a whole lot of hip hop in the house, which is probably why it was so hard for me to like pick it up. Because most of the hip hop I listened to, I had to like sneak and listen to on my MP3 player. Um, I would download my music from LimeWire. And then I would like, because we didn't have, we, there was no way I was going to get a rap CD in the house. Like that was just, no. I, I, I kind of snuck and listened to rap music you know yahoo music remember yahoo music and the music videos used to be there and yeah, well. yeah i would wait until my parents are gone and then i would like go on i would listen to like for real the n-e-r-d and all kinds of stuff there was probably a learning curve there especially because you didn't have access to listening to most of it anyway and then kind of having to find your own way through all the music that you listened to growing up and integrating it that's exactly it piecing it together i trained classically in piano and so my musical world was kind of limited i guess it was classical or jazz or gospel or motown-ish like anything in that era and so I love the melody lines in classical music anyway. There's just always like a really nice, like the left hand will keep you going and then like the right hand will like play you a cute little something. There was, that was always intriguing to me. Um, and I always liked like the funk of like old school music. There was, I knew there was a way to like pull those together. And honestly, like hearing more musical rappers, I don't know if I would have been able to piece it together in a way that made sense if I hadn't heard Lupe Fiasco. That was like my first realization of like, he's very melodic in how he talks and very poetic in how he talks. Food and Liquor, Food and Liquor 2, The Cool. I still listen to Lupe. And then Kanye is also, he, he has a very melodic tone. Sometimes Jay-Z and like, I think he might have been like one of the earlier gangster rappers that kind of played with melody and so having being introduced to rap with kind of those as my uh focal point helped me piece together something but at the time Nicki Minaj was super big and so it was hard to hear what I wanted to sound like mm -hmm. because it was still very like she's not gangster rap but it rap rap everybody's melodic rap now but at the time it wasn't very melodic rap it was very like little Wayne rap very on par with like little Kim and like Foxy Brown and and I was like well I, I just don't have that kind of voice <laughs> 
but I love to listen to it. And a lot of my earlier music, even my gospel rap had more of that kind of bounce to it. I didn't really get into melodic rap until I did Melanin Poppin'. And it seems like you found a really good way to merge all of those worlds. You kind of said you were limited, but when I think of all of those genres, I think of all of them kind of as the foundation for popular music, like classical, jazz, Motown, gospel, all of that is so foundational, I think, to to everything that's come out after it. So you really had, you did have a good foundation, even if there were certain things you weren't allowed to listen to along the way. Oh, thank you for that. Now I won't say that it's like, that it wasn't that good a foundation because after you explained it I was like oh right a lot of rock and blues came from gospel which is still very new knowledge I feel like as we're trying to understand like the roots of some type of art like now it's starting to come out oh it was this gospel singer that was singing on this rock song I watched a documentary actually 20 feet from stardom the title bothers me because I'm like no like, I get it. Like, they're 20 feet from stardom because they're background singers, but they created stardom. So I would have liked, like, a more empowering name for that because it was such a good documentary. And I didn't realize that, like, yeah, I knew, like, to some degree that a lot of Black music influence, a lot of modern music that we have now, but I not to that degree. When they were talking about, like, the Black women background vocals, such popular songs. I'm like, yo... What? That's another good point. There is such a rich history that has not been identified. I mean, it's like people have chosen to write the history of music through whatever lens they already had. And a lot of that history has been chosen to include mostly white men. But now there are more voices being represented. You know, the narrative's changing and it's like that perspective wasn't there. And so now that we have more representation, more of these stories can be told. Yeah, that makes me think of how the story was able to be rewritten in a different lens because of there just not being enough rights. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there wasn't like like a union or someone to make sure that not only are these people getting paid, but they're getting like the correct credit. Like there just wasn't like there, that type of integrity moves that were being made, you know? Yeah, and that's something that you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about too, was that artists need to have more control over their music, over the revenue they're making from it. And again, that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And that's something that's been happening for a long time for artists. Michelle, they think we're making millions of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, but again, it's like in order to have a viable music career, And whether that means you're a huge star or somebody who's able to sustain your life through the money you make from music, in order to do that, you have to have a team. You have to work with a lot of external partners, sometimes labels, PR, different venues, management, the list goes on and on and on. And so there's money coming out of your pocket constantly. Nobody has the ability to do it on their own because there are so many pieces of the puzzle that a lot of people don't understand. And it's it's very easy, I think, as artists, as music musical artists mm-hmm. to get so caught up and lost in like the business side it almost takes away from the fun of the art side like you forget you forget that like oh yeah I gotta make some money or I kind of want to be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor but you just never have time because you're always if you don't have a team then you're doing everything yourself and paying for everything yourself if you do have a team they're doing everything but then you're paying them to do everything so that leaves you with nothing so it's almost like right now we're in a weird spot 
spot as artists, and maybe not a weird spot. I want to say maybe innovative. Like we're at a spot now where we can think of like, what do we want this to look like in 20 years? I think we're all tired of musical platforms getting more money from streams of our music than we get to see. I think we're over it. And I think that a lot of musical platforms understand that we're over it and are trying to think of ways to combat that. And I, I would like to see like musical artists in particular come together and one up and think of a way that like we want this to actually be run that is like beneficial to us that we get to cut out so many of the middlemen I think there's a lot of middlemen in music on purpose that like honestly right now serve as like gatekeepers to me it takes the fun out of music discovery and it takes the fun out of creating so that people can discover it. Because honestly, if, if I had to get a regular job, but I could still do music and know that people would, would still consume it and, and love it and, and I would be taken care of, like, cool. That would be cool. Yeah, and I think we don't have much of a music industry in Kansas City. I love our scene because it's so community-based. And at least in my view, I, I haven't had much competition. It's mostly like people building each other up and being yep. like, hey, I love this artist. I'm going to work with this artist or I'm going to go to this person's show and I'm going to tell all my friends about them. And that's great. But that said, you know, there's no industry here. There's none of the middlemen, but there's also not as much income and there's not going to be, it's kind of a cycle. But in Kansas City, we maybe just don't see that as much. So in some ways it's good because we do have a little more autonomy as far as what we do, but, right. but it's not going to travel as far unless we make those connections outside of the city, make those connections in the industry. And hopefully the people who do are able to find the right people to work with. I love for the most part, I love our music community. I, I completely agree. Like, I don't find very much competition. It's like we all enjoy each other's music uh, and we all share each other's music and are always looking for ways to collab. And it is very, very community-based, which then, yes, it makes it kind of scary to branch out and to know that there, like, honestly, are sharks out there. There are, like, people who will say that they want to manage you. And we're such a community. And so, yes, we can send our music into a radio station and know that it'll get played or we can get a show and know that we can like collab with two other artists to have that show and like people will turn out we can make our own products literally in town it'll work we we do the world a disservice because there's so much good art in kansas city across the board absolutely we create high level art in kansas city across the board bands music film actors painting clothes, taking it to the next step would have to be like venturing out. And it, when one of us does it and then it gets burned, it's kind of hard for the rest of us. They're like, we do not. Yeah. Like you said, it's such a grind and there are so many different ways you can go about it. I know so many touring musicians that are on the road, not right now, of course, but on the road constantly. They're just doing what they're doing, but hopefully along the way, you know, they'll find some kind of break, somebody who can get them to that next level. And it's also incremental unless you have a lot of money or unless you know the right people. Who who are the people? I don't know who the people are. <laughs> I, my, my first thought is always to like start our own which I think that like we absolutely are doing in Kansas City. Even with the independent label that I signed to, Manor Records, their mission is artist friendly to build a union of artists, to make sure that artists are taken care of as we are moving forward, however we want to move forward. You know, I think that Centercut, High Dive, whoever, we're like, hey, you know what? I, I don't know who the people are, but I guess we'll be the people. And those are so great to have in Kansas City. We can trust those people because their goals are the same as ours. And we know that. I plant the seed and let it grow. I plant the seed and let it grow.
lot of really great Kansas City artists, like you said, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about a few of them as well. Yo, the list is so long for Kansas City artists, honestly. I know you know this. <laughs> like bands that I've gotten the opportunity to play with that I like met via shows, which wish that shows would come back so bad because that is literally how I met so many good artists. Like I, I wouldn't even be able to name all of them. Most recently that I've been like listening to like just heavy rotation is uh, yeah jazz she's super new on the scene but came out with a project last year and I listened to the it was like a re-release of a project and she cleaned some things up and just uh, did some things different on a couple of songs and so I, I listened to the first one and I really enjoyed it and then she came out with this one and I for some reason maybe just you know how like you're in a different place in life and you hear some music and you're like <gasps> my heart <laughs> I had it on repeat for I still have it on repeat honestly so it's been months now but I just I I love like her style and just as an upcoming artist I like just seeing like people's hustle and like and desire to just get the art out regardless of how perfect or imperfect it may seem to them they know that people like need the music like need to hear these messages and so cool and she just puts out a lot of like cool different like little visuals and art stuff that goes along with it and so it's cool and yeah and lava dreams i met lava dreams at a at a show in 2018 which seems so long ago now at the mini bar oh man i miss the mini bar remember that <laughs> remember shows crazy fun so I met her at a show. I don't even know if, and maybe it was like one of her first shows or something. But I was still super new on the scene. So we were like both there just like chilling. It was like a kind of a small show. Ah, oh, but it was so good. She was just so good. I was like, dude, man. I still want to make some music with her. I'm like, girl, you're like, she had her guitar with the pedal. It was, and, and, and she was by herself. She oh. gave a sick show by herself. Yeah, she does all the looping stuff. I, I could never do it, I don't think. But when I watch somebody else do it. That's Very nice. smoothly, too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, since then, I've been like a fan. I'm like, anything she sings, I'm like, I'm going to listen. I'm going to vibe to. But that rhythm song, yo. When it came out with the Good Vibes project, so Good good Energy was like my favorite song at first, but then she came out with that video for Rhythm. Right. It's good. It'll like make you like, <laughs> it makes you want to move. And I'm like, yo, this is, I, I was hooked. Like, no, really, we played that like on repeat for like an hour and danced around the living room. Me and my son, Courage. It was, it's it, yeah. Those are like my, just, I, I like, I, I listen to them every day, probably. They're in some sort of playlist that I have, or I just listen to their projects. But yeah, there's like so many really good artists in the city. I just listened to Coney's album, and I really enjoyed it. Buds is my favorite song. There's a lot. I mean, so many, there's such a variety of talent, I would say. Pretty much any kind of music you're looking for, there's somebody doing it really well. Yes, yes. And if not one, there's like five of you guys doing this really well. How, 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 how are you guys making these songs? That's sometimes what I think. Like, yeah. You are also making those songs and you're making them very well. Well, thank you. I literally, I'll be like, <laughs> one day I'm going to get good like you guys. That's what I, that's what I think in my mind. Every time I make something, I say, look, I had to put it out because my heart said do it. But one day... I feel like that's just how a lot of artists are. It's like, I've got that imposter syndrome constantly. You know, I'm just like, I'm just doing what I'm doing. And hopefully it isn't terrible. That's how I feel most of the time. So yes. 
it's I, not it's not terrible you rock it out <laughs> thanks thanks <laughs> my um, angelo has a quote that i like probably will always reference this quote in everything because it's exactly how i feel and i'm trying to unfeel it but it is what it is and she's like one day they're gonna figure me out <laughs> and I, the first time i read it i was like what she mean by that mm-hmm. and then as i kept living a little i was like oh when people think that you're good at something but you think that like i'm still learning i don't have the answers then you start to feel like that imposter syndrome and oh no they're gonna figure out that i'm not that good and then they're gonna hate me and they're gonna be like you're a liar we thought you were good i love that quote man that's really good but i did want to since you talked about my angelou i kind of wanted to go back for a second because we were talking earlier about how your love of words kind of got you into rapping and spoken word and when i hear your music i hear a lot of that like that flow of spoken word poetry and i really i really dig that but i think it's also timely right now because amanda gorman she did that speech at the inauguration and for the first time in a really long time people are like oh my god spoken word poetry is really cool where has this been it's been there the whole time you know but it's like (laughs) i was reading an article i don't know if it was in the atlantic or something but they were talking about how you know there's this rich history of great poets that have been a big part of the culture but that really hasn't been the case for the last several decades but it's like she did the inauguration and then she went and did the super bowl and there's been no other entertainer who's ever done that except for beyonce so hopefully that's something that will become more embedded in our culture i think that's so cool She's just great. Like, I saw her. <laughs> and anytime I see her, I'm like, she's so adorable. <laughs> like, she's so cute. And she looks like, honestly, like, I love seeing Black girls that, that resemble an everyday Black girl. Like, she looks like a, she's like a beautiful Black woman, young woman that's intelligent, using her words. It's really, really inspiring. So much so. And I really hope that, like, this does spark the renaissance of that art form. And maybe we just do it in different ways now, but, like, just, like, the essence of spoken word and, like, that has been so much a part of I think just humanity. Words are so poetic in a lot of different texts. I'm reading the Tao Te Ching right now, and like even that is very poetic. There are even phrases and certain things in like the Bible that are like really poetic. We think of Langston Hughes, and right now I really enjoy writing haikus. There's something about poetry that just like gets like right at the essence, as close to an idea as words can get. It almost feels like, and I love that like she's the face of that. I feel like it makes people that we want to hear words from feel like they can also do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something else I want to talk about because that's a big part of your music and your creativity. So you launched a magazine in 2013. Courage. Courage. Mm -hmm. A-H-O-R-A-G-E. Yeah, you got it. Your goal of it was to provide positive imagery for young Black girls. And you also highlighted Black community leaders through that. Yeah, absolutely. It was like a passion project. It really started off as a joke. The idea of it, I was sitting with some friends. We were teaching at a summer school called Freedom School. Word to my friend Alexis. We call her Carrot because she's a vegan. (laughs) 
but we were like sitting together and we were like, yo, how cool would it be if, cause we were thinking about like how when we were young, there weren't any magazines for like young black girls. I think we were talking about shaving our legs or sugar waxing or something. At the time we were young adults who were like, yeah, 19, 20. And so we were like, we just don't know a lot about coming into womanhood. We would think of like the teen magazines that we had were very European centric focus. And so a lot of the hairstyles, a lot of the things you could do with your skin and your body, we're not for any people of color we were just like griping about it kind of we were like it would be so cool if they had a had like just a little girl's version of like essence magazine or jet magazine or ebony magazine which are like black publications that's where the idea first started that was 2011 2012 actually 2014 was when it would happen because it waited a couple of years i was discouraged about the idea at first for just various reasons i just was like i didn't think it was possible to create a magazine how do you create a magazine in kansas city what does that even require? Michelle, I had no idea. Like I had none, like zero. I hadn't even finished college yet. So I really didn't even like, but you live and you learn. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna just start somewhere. And so at the time I worked at an organization um, when I started the magazine called Urban Scholastic Center and it was located in Wyandotte County. And they took kids after school and like specifically focused on reading. At the time, I was mentoring a bunch of younger little black girls, and they were just, oh my God, my heart. They were my heart. I love them girls. And I realized they needed something, so I was like, okay, this is the time to try it. We have people here that would like want a magazine and read it. If it sucks, it sucks. But if it doesn't, we'll see where it goes. So the first one, I actually had the little girls model in it. And I had one of the photographers where we worked at. I had him take the pictures for the magazine. And then I had one of the girls who I wrote for it. And then I think my sister wrote something for it because she was a doctor. And I was like, hey, give us some of your doctor advice on how they should take care of their hygiene and stuff. And then I had another girl who worked there write an article and we started the first magazine and from there it kind of just picked up steam and I had to figure out how to learn InDesign, Adobe InDesign. So I stayed up for hours and hours that first night and watched a lot of Adobe videos and a lot of YouTube videos and learned how to piece together magazine. That's incredible. You know, it's so important, like we said, for representation, but I think especially for little kids. And I know that you had talked about how when you were in school, you didn't feel empowered as a young Black girl. And your song, Badu, kind of goes back to that, where you were called Badu as a kid and your sister was called Macy Gray. Is that right? Yes. As insults. Yeah, and as insults. But then, you know, you go back later and think about it, and it's like, well, Erica Badu, she's a queen. That's yeah. So you were able to kind of like reclaim that and then use these platforms like your music and the magazine to let little black girls know like you matter and if people are hurling insults at you, take them back, you know, and channel your power and having all of these outlets that you are providing to them, I think are just so important. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just to make somebody else's life a little easier. You know, I, I don't think that like I had a terrible time growing up, but it, it was hard. And like when you just don't really fit or don't feel like you belong or like if you're looking for certain material and it's just not there for you. Dude, if people just feel empowered, then they're going to, one, help other people feel empowered. And two, they're going to walk in the thing that they're supposed to do. Like, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I actually feel like I can do this. And then they're going to inspire somebody else. It literally is like a ripple effect. You affect someone else, even in a minute way, and then they'll affect someone else and someone else. There were a lot of, of women, ones that either I read about or my mom and my aunts or ones that mentored me that, like, were the ripple effect for me. Yeah, I think due diligence for myself felt like just being able to provide something. And it's not even like as a, since they not going to put us in anything, I'm going to make this, you know, it's just like a, if you want it here. And also it hopefully it crosses barriers such that other people can feel like they can partake in whatever art forms I present too. Like, yes, I make this with you all in mind and I hope that y'all love this. But also I love the idea that we can just create art that like all people can consume because art and art don't have a color. It's not biased against people. Yeah, it's just for whoever can find something in it. You said something about belonging, and I think that's so important for myself, too. Growing up, there, there weren't Asian American representations out there, none that weren't already, you know, really stereotypical. So I felt really alone in that growing up, and I never got to see that. And it's really only been over the last couple of years that I've been able to see that for myself. So just having that sense that you're not alone in the way you feel and and you know it's like your your nickname is the awkward mova so i think that you've probably felt that same way of like not totally belonging and i don't mean that necessarily from a racial standpoint either it's just being who you are if you're an introvert or if you look a little bit different if a message of art has resonated with me, it's been so important and it's made me feel like I'm a part of something. And I think that's probably what you're getting at too, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because it's so hard. You know, it's so hard being awkward. And like, I feel that. I, <laughs> you know, we can all pretend we're so cool and we always have it together and whatever. None of us do. Like, I mean, we just don't. And like, I think that the more that you embrace just like the quirks about yourself, you'll meet other people that have those same quirks and like y'all will create a community of misfits and like soon enough it won't be a community of misfits it'll be just like hey this is just how this group of people operate when you're growing up you just want to fit in and it's so hard when you don't have somebody else who you can relate with what you've been able to create through your art and your music is so important so thank you for doing that oh thank you it's been fun yeah i felt i, I felt the love good good uh, another thing that I think you had mentioned wanting to talk about was the soul work that it takes to create art. And that's something we've kind of covered a little bit through our conversation about self-expression, how important it is. Your music has evolved kind of along with your identity and your sense of self. You didn't feel as empowered as a younger girl and that's changed and your music has changed too. It's like last summer I premiered a song for you on the bridge called Magic and that song was a way of reclaiming these things that have been used against black culture and, and using it instead to uplift that culture. So yeah. I think that's super important. Yeah, let's talk about that soul work that it takes to create art, put it out in the world. 
I think you you probably would be able to resonate with this as well as our fellow artists. Having to be really honest with yourself so that you make honest work so that like it does relate to people and not in a way that's like pandering to people or you know, it's like an honest inspection of where I'm at. This is what I have to bring to the table. This is what I have to say about it. And a lot of times for me, it's meant sitting with myself, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever that looks like and combing through it all. I think it's really easy to be fake confident. And so I can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm all that in a bag of chips, okay? <laughs> like it's easy to be like that, right? And to not actually be like that, you know, not feel like that in your heart, but to like say it out loud and for people to resonate with it, right? It's a lot harder to like sit with like, I don't know what I'm doing and this is confusing and I'm really sad because these are the things that I would like to do, but it doesn't look like or feel like it's coming together. But I feel like that is where the honest music comes from. When you do that work in yourself, you know, you find the light to like you find the way out of that and the way or not out the way through that. Like you literally heal yourself through it if you take the time to do that. But like when I listen to an artist, I feel like I can tell like when it's coming from an honest place because it feels in me like an honest place. Right. And I love that. It, it can be really difficult to access those parts of yourself because our culture is just like, no, just find a way to escape. But as an artist, that self-expression, you have to access those parts and you have to, at some points, learn through doing the work to accept and love those parts of yourself. And then in turn, hopefully somebody who listens to your music will connect in the same way and find ways to access those parts of themselves. Maybe that's like kind of a pie in the sky idea, but I'm mm -hmm. like, that's, that's the way it should be, I think. And that's why music and that's why art is so important and people maybe don't value it as much because they don't think about it as much. Yeah, I, I do not think that is a pie in the sky idea. That is like exactly what happens. Like that is the ripple effect. That is the like, oh, because you're honest. Okay, then it feels like a safe space for me to be honest. Even if nobody else is around, I'm just honest with myself about how I feel. I honestly don't think that I would have been able to make a magic where I'm like super celebratory and able to like see how magical black art and black culture is if I hadn't made her eyes where I was like mm, I don't feel that great mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on I don't feel like myself there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of death there's a lot of things that I just don't know all around me I had to sit with those thoughts at the time I was doing something that I didn't I was working somewhere that I didn't love working there was no way for me to even conceive I am magic go power me like no that just you know it just wasn't where I was and I absolutely I, I love I, when I hear music and someone is just like very honest about where they are good good or bad like it because it don't gotta be like sad honest like I love when people are like honest and they like upbeat and it's like ooh, you feel good so I feel good it's contagious it is contagious like it's not a high the pie in the sky idea we do take on each other's emotional state sometimes we do take on each other's energy and if we could think wow you just gave me some really good energy sitting here talking to you Michelle has like gave me such good energy like I feel really good now I get to go make somebody else's day. You get to go make somebody else's day. And like that, that's like a trickle effect. It really does work, man. I want more people to think like that. Even if they think that's like hippy dippy or whatever, just try it. Don't just try it though. Like, yeah, no, you're totally right. You're totally right about the, the energy. Uh, that's also in the power of music and art. It's like you, even though you don't necessarily know it, you have this ability to meet people where they're at 
no matter where they're at. And like, that's just, that's what they need to get through that day or to get through some obstacle in their life. Absolutely. And so we need to pay artists. <laughs> like, you know. End of the, end of the discussion. <laughs> we need to pay artists. They keep us alive. They, it's a wonder they keep themselves alive. Like. Yeah, and then, so I listened to this interview that you did for The Bridge, and that was on Women's Day. So Women's Day is March 8th. Mm-hmm. You said, our job as artists, creators, and bridge builders is to connect hurt people with some kind of healing. And then a week later everything shut down because of COVID. But like the the reason I say that is maybe hopefully within this last year, people have started to understand like, well, our entertainment is gone. We can't go to a live show. We can't really go to the movies. We can't go to plays. Maybe people are going to start valuing it more when it comes back. And even myself, I love playing music. I love going to shows. I love doing all that stuff, but I got a little burnt out with it because that was what I was doing. Like, almost every day. So I know that I have found an appreciation for it again and and such like such a strong desire to get it back. But you know, it's like I just hope that now that we're in this place where we can't enjoy it, maybe people who aren't in that world will start appreciating it more too. Absolutely. Man, I resonate with that. Because this time last year, I was wrapping up Raising in the Sun and had been doing shows, music shows, while the production was up. And I was just like, I'm tired. I'm going to take a month off. I'm not going to do no shows. I'm not going to do... Literally, we closed February 29th. I did that radio show. And that was it. That was the last time that, that I was around humans honestly like humans really like outside of maybe a couple of friends my close family and I for real like in my heart I'm like yo I, I just I'm not I'm not gonna take that for granted so I, I, I'm with you I hope that like that as artists we got the rest that we needed but that we also understand that like if things go bad then this is the first thing that they, that's gonna go so maybe we'll appreciate it a lot more and like even in those moments where we're super tired that we know to deliver a really good show to people and that we that we give them the energy that we missed so much in 2020 in the early of 2021 mm-hmm. um, and then I hope that other people like really same really value that like and it's different being in person and hearing music Yes. Yeah, there's no, you can't, you just cannot replace that. There's no way to replace that. I think it's great that we were very innovative with virtual shows. Yes. But there is nothing, there's nothing like feeling. It's that connection. There's that energy you keep talking about. It's, yes. It's so real. And there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I can think of to replicate that. I don't think there is. I think, I think it really is like, this is what you get from this. So like now that we, now we know, now we know, I think we, I think we had an idea that like, oh, I love going to shows, but I think that when we go back, we'll have such a deep appreciation for it. I probably will cry my first live show, honestly, because it'll be so real. It'll be surreal. And even people who've like been able to play a little bit, a couple of live shows while, while in pandemic, like I know it's still surreal. Oh gosh. Yeah. I played a couple outdoor shows and it was so, it was very surreal, very cathartic, even just looking in the audience at people because, you know, they hadn't been able to go see shows in like six months at least. It was weird, but it was great. It just gave me an appreciation of what artists are able to provide to people. 
and maybe other people start start appreciating that and seeing that there's you know there's no replacement for it like we said and then they'll pay us <laughs> and they'll pay us yeah that's the goal yeah we're not trying to be multimillionaires here listen because we're just trying to make a living i think that like it's not too much to ask for a health care and a place to stay and some food most people are actually very happy with those things and especially if they're able to do the thing that they love to do exactly exactly what other plans do you have as far as music and acting and anything you want to share about what you're doing in 2021 oh sweet um i have a show coming up at lemonade park on april 9th with true line oh cool yeah they'll actually be heading it and then i'll be doing a set there and so i'm like super excited because that'll be my first like literally i have not done any live shows so i'm really really excited to i've and i've never i didn't get a chance to go catch any shows at lemonade park this past year before they closed down for the winter so i haven't seen any except for like through instagram and so i'm like really excited to play there that is the only place I have played since COVID. So, ooh, nice, safe, yeah, it's distant. It. The food comes from Voltaire. It's so good. Perfect. I'm excited about You're that. Love it. And I will mark that on my calendar as well and try to make it out. Yes, April 9th. And then, as far as acting, to be continued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's I think there's a lot of cool things in works. So, and then with music. Word on the street is there are some um, new projects that are coming out. I'm like so excited because, you know, honestly, I thought quarantine was going to be over last year. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to hold off until and then I held off until December. And I was like, wow, I never got a chance to (laughs) release things like how I wanted to. Great. Got it. But this year I'm definitely going to quarantine and no quarantine. Good, good. Sounds like you've got a whole lot going on. As yes. we're gonna do this we are we are yes. powering through and i'm proud of like everybody that's really kept some sense of sanity like you know whatever it looks like like just to, the fact that we're here the fact that we we are still are, here yes <laughs> yeah. i am proud of everybody because we're still here mm-hmm. thank you so much crystal and that's k-h-r-y-s-t-a-l if you want to check out her socials it's crystal with k-h you're also on spotify band Camp. yeah Spotify, Bandcamp, Tidal, Apple Music, all that. Awesome. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to Crystal for the tracks you heard in this episode from KC Artists. You can find most of these artists on Bandcamp or through your favorite streaming platform. Bookending the show is Crystal with Her Eyes, a single from 2019, Jazz with Grow from At the Close of a Decade, and Lava Dreams with Rhythm from the Good Energy Focus EP. That'll do it for this episode. Special thanks to Patrick Spray and Chris Mowry. Please listen and subscribe to the Center Cuts podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.